The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. The word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. We're here this evening to study in the word of God. We are in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And we've made some progress on the principles regarding verses 16 through 26. And last Sunday, we actually spent some time, I brought up and reviewed the slideshow that I have on the soul. And we talked about that relating to all of this. Now, we're not going to do that again tonight. If you missed that, it is up on the website, so you can watch that. We are, however, going to go back and review. We're going to look at the translation, and we are going to quickly, quickly review the principles that we've covered so far, and then we're going to move on from there. Before we do any of that, let's take a moment for silent prayer to ensure that our hearts are properly prepared for the study of the Word of God. This entails confession of sin if necessary, hopefully not, but if necessary, we have the blessing of being able to lay our sins before the Lord, and He forgives us for our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But also, this is an opportunity when we have the silent prayer to make sure you focus your thoughts on the Lord and humble yourself so that you will be teachable. Shall we pray? Most gracious and merciful and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for blessing us with this opportunity tonight to gather here at the church. I thank you for the wonderful prayer meeting that we just had, the opportunity to lift up our concerns before you and pray for the members of the congregation. And it's just a blessing to be able to pray together with my brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you for this time we have now to consider the truth of your word. We pray that you will help each and every one of us to focus on what it is that you want us to learn tonight, that through the message of your word, the truth of your word, and the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, we will understand these things, we will be transformed by these things, and we will grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray all of these things in his most precious and beautiful name. Amen. All right. My computer. There we are. All right. Was not responding. All right, so this is the translation. Again, we've gone over this a few times, but I want to go over it again just to make sure. This, these are the verses we're talking about here in these principles. Now I say, walk by means of the Spirit, and you will definitely not carry out the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh has desires contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit contrary to the flesh. But these are enemies of one another, with the result that you may not do the things that you want to do. But since you are being led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the products of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, moral impurity, debauchery, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, discord, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, heresies, envying, drunken sprees, excessive partying, and things like these, of which I tell you in advance, just just as I have previously warned you, that those who consistently engage in such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law that prohibits such things. Now, 
Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and lusts. Since we are spiritually alive by means of the spirit, let us also behave in accordance with the spirit. Let us not become arrogant, provoking one another, envying one another. That is our translation of Galatians 5, 16 through 26. Then we started looking at the principles. We've got to clarify, first of all, right, right here, the idea that at the moment of salvation, every born-again believer is given the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There is no, there is no after salvation <clears throat> blessing, as some proclaim. You receive the Holy Spirit the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ. You're sealed by the Spirit. He's given to you as a pledge. You have the Holy Spirit, so you have access to the Spirit. Remember, the battle that's being talked about here is the battle between the flesh and the Spirit. And we have the beginning verse that says, if you walk by means of the Spirit, you will definitely not uh, give in to the desires of the flesh. So we have the battle of the flesh and the Spirit. I want you to know that as a born-again believer, you have the Holy Spirit right from day one, from moment one, you have the Holy Spirit. This grace blessing for believers in the current dispensation of the church was not given to Old Testament saints. David was concerned about losing the Spirit. He prayed that God would not take the Holy Spirit away from him. We saw that Saul, who had the Spirit when he was very first serving as king, it was taken away from him. So that's something that would happen to Old Testament saints, but it's not something that can happen to you. So you don't need to pray that prayer of David. You need to understand that you have a permanent indwelling of the Spirit. <clears throat> At the moment of salvation, we were also made spiritually alive by means of the Spirit. I've talked about this before. I believe some, some say that you are when you're born, you have a, a, you have a soul and you have the flesh right? The body and the soul. And then when you believe, then you receive a human spirit, a living human spirit. I believe that when we are born, we're born with a body and a soul and a dead human spirit. And then when you believe your human spirit is made alive, that's the language of scripture made alive. In fact, the King James is my favorite. It says quickened. The quickening of the spirit, right? That's what happens. So I believe that there is a human spirit in you. It's just dead. And then at the moment of salvation, it's made alive. That is the second birth. That's being born again. Now, given that, it follows that we should live our lives by means of the spirit, right? If we have been made spiritually alive by means of the Holy Spirit, that makes sense to me. If that's how we got started on our spiritual walk, isn't that how we should continue? We should live our lives by means of the Spirit. We looked at Colossians 2, 6, which is, as you have received him, so also walk in him. When we live our lives by means of the Spirit, we absolutely will not carry out the lust of the flesh. And we, that's Galatians 5, 16, which we looked at. We will not. <clears throat> so that we had talked about it on Sunday. I'll briefly talk about it again here. That means if you fall into sin... At some point, you stop walking by means of the Spirit. And it's the equivalent of dropping your armor, right? You drop your armor, you're utterly exposed. And then, as Joseph did on Sunday, <laughs> here comes the flaming arrows of the evil one, right? He's going to get you because you're exposed. So this is something you don't want to do. This is why this is one of those things that's very important. And we're going to understand, we're going to look at a whole list of them here in a minute. A very important provision that God has made. For us as believers, he's given us the spirit and as believers today, if we walk by means of the spirit, we won't give in to the flesh. I will tell you also this Colossians 2, 6. That says, as you have received him, so also walk in him. 
you know, we, we know that's a powerful verse, the idea of we receive, we receive Christ by grace through faith. That's how you're saved, by grace through faith. Through faith. We're supposed to also walk by grace through faith. And believe it or not, when Dan and Pat Hill were here and we had some time to sit down and talk with them, that verse has been transformational to a whole handful of pastors. Because there were a lot of pastors who were under the impression that salvation by grace through faith and then now that you're saved, it's a matter of works. And I'm not even talking about, you know, religion, religious denominations. I'm talking about people in Bible churches who kind of still put in this works factor into the post-salvation life. Now, God gives us works to do, but we do those works by grace through faith. And so this has been, there's been many, many uh, pastors in the doctrinal movement who have been uh, transformed by Colossians 2.6 because it made them realize, wait a minute, you know, this, this, we're supposed to continue by grace through faith. But this provision, we're going to look at it more, this provision is part of the list that I put together. <clears throat> Grace provisions God has given to allow us to maintain fellowship with Him. Well, obviously, confession of sin, because if you fall out of fellowship, if you do sin and you break fellowship with God, you need to get back into fellowship with Him. And that's, thank God, that we have confession of sin. He's gracious to give us that means. Putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans thirteen fourteen, the idea of being able to literally dress yourself with the Lord. And if you dress yourself with the Lord, what are you doing? You're, you're imaging Christ. And if you're imaging Christ, you're not going to sin. Laying aside the old self and putting on the new self, two halves of the same coin, right? Laying aside the old self, putting on the new self, uh, that is very important. Those are things that we can do volitionally. We can make volitional decisions to lay aside the old self, put on the new self. <clears throat> I like this. This goes, by the way, hand in hand with putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? We put on the new self. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ. The renewing of the mind, very important because when we started our spiritual journey, every one of us has been, had been corrupted, not only in terms of the corruption that came from the fall, but if you think about it, I, for instance, I myself, I lived 17 years as an unbeliever. How much garbage did my soul get filled up with, right? I need to have a transformation by the renewing of the mind. More provisions. Receiving the word implanted, James 1.21, that is very important. As we receive the word, that is one of the things that helps to prevent us from falling into sin. Right, my word, thy word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Right, you know, to use the King James translation. The idea that the word itself is a preventive measure, right? That we have the word in our hearts helps protect us from falling into sin. Laying aside sin and encumbrances. Now, this is similar to the laying aside of the old self, right? Because the old self is the sin nature. This talks about, in Hebrews 12.1, it talks about laying aside sin. Literally, moving sin out of your life. But not just sin, encumbrances. There are things that we have in our lives that are not sinful in and of themselves, but they are an encumbrance to our spiritual walk. We need to lay those things aside as well. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, I think that's pretty important. I think that when we looked at the idea of, lay, when we look at, we lay aside the old self and we lay aside sin, sin and encumbrances, we put on the new self and we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, these things are coupled together, right? The same thing is true with these last two. Walking by means of the Spirit and fixing our eyes on Jesus. What you're doing is your eyes are fixed on your Lord and Savior and you're 
humbly yielding to the Holy Spirit who guides you through this crazy life that we live, right? Both of those go together because what it is is it's an orientation to Christ. It's an orientation to the Holy Spirit. You see what I'm saying? In other words, your thoughts are oriented towards God. Make sense? And I could even go so far as to say that when you're really doing this well, it's an occupation. You're occupied with Christ. You're occupied with the Holy Spirit. In other words, your thoughts are occupied with God. So those two go hand in hand also. These are all provisions. We looked at all of them. These are all things. So if you think about it, it's really kind of almost silly when we do fail and fall into sin because look what God's already done for us to make it possible to stay in fellowship with him. He's given us all the means necessary, and yet we still find ourselves falling into sin. And he knew that, which is why we have the ability to confess our sins. Oh, I forget. I forgot the last one here. Putting spiritual qualities into use. Very important. Second Peter 1. If you haven't read that passage, go read it. Second Peter 1, 4 through 10. It talks about all these amazing spiritual qualities that come to us from God. He manifests those in us. <clears throat> and we become partakers of the divine nature when we put those into use. In other words, it's not just that God has given us patience. We show patience. It's not just that God has given us brotherly love, but we, we show, we demonstrate brotherly love, right? So that's why I made this, that's what this verse says. When you are putting these things into use, you won't fall into sin. When, in other words, when I'm loving my brothers and sisters as I should with agape love, when I have, when I have all the characteristics that are mentioned in this passage, Second Peter chapter 1, I am walking by means of the Spirit when I'm doing that, and I'm exhibiting all those those characteristics to the people around me, I'm not going to be sinning while I'm doing that. So it's very important. All these provisions that have been made, we need to understand that something not good dwells within our flesh. Romans seven eighteen. we have the sin nature, something not good. When we live according to the flesh, we cannot please God in anything we do. Now, Romans 8, 5 through 8, very important passage to, so unbelievers, do they walk by means of the Spirit or do they live according to the flesh? They live according to the flesh. That's what unbelievers do, right? If you want to think about it this way, uh, this is probably, I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing something that Pastor Bob Bolander at Austin Bible Church has said before. Uh, dogs bark, cats meow, unbelievers give in to the flesh. That's what they do, right? That's what they do. That's their, really, they don't have a choice. That's, that's what they have. As born-again believers, you have a choice. But what's important is, when you're living according to the flesh, you can't please God. You can't please God in anything that you do. And here's where that human good factor comes in, right? You might be doing things when you're walking that way. You might be doing things that on the surface seem good. But when you get to the Bema seat, it's going to be part of the fire. It's all going to burn up. Therefore, it's critical to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. And this is where we stopped and took a look at the slideshow with the soul. We talked about the damage that can occur when we allow the, the lusts, when we give in to the lusts of the flesh, when temptation turns into sin. When we do that, we actually create harm, right? It's waging war against our soul. There is damage done to our souls in the process. We then took a look at this passage. Our spiritual life is a continual battle between the flesh and the spirit, and as a result, we may 
do things that we do not want to do. Romans seven fourteen through 25. You're looking at Paul talking about this, and it's, he's one of the, one of the heroes of the, of the faith, right? Paul, I mean, he's this amazing believer who taught doctrines that go so deep that sometimes, you know, our brains bleed a little bit when we try to understand. That's kind of what, what Peter said is these things are hard to understand. That's what Peter said about it. And, uh, but what we're looking at is an extremely mature believer, and yet he struggled with this dichotomy, the flesh and the spirit, right? He struggled with that. And he himself said, you know, sometimes I don't do what it is I want to do. And he would fall into sin. Now, this is where we stopped. We're going to take a look at this now. Temptations may come our way, but it is when we give in to the temptations that we sin. This is where we left off. We should be on page 19. Should be on page 19. So here in James 1, 13 through 15, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Are there any back there? I can print some real quick. Uh, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not, attempt, does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, this is very important what verse 15 says, then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth temporal death. Now, this is very important. We're not talking about loss of salvation here. We're talking about loss of fellowship. We're talking about walking in death because you've broken fellowship with God. Now, this is very important, the language of this. Here's, here's when you have a conception, when, when, you, when, when there's a conception that takes place, there's two parties involved, Right? It's the same thing is true in this. I taught James multiple times. <clears throat> same thing's true here. The two parties involved in this are your lusts, right? You're being tempted when you're carried away and enticed by your own lust, your lusts of the flesh. That's the sin nature. The second party involved is your volition, right? When your volition, when you volitionally give in to the lusts, then lust conceives. It gives birth to sin right so the two parties involved is the lust of the flesh your sin nature and your volition and when you get when you give in to the lust you give birth to sin and when sin is accomplished it brings forth temporal death in other words you're now walking basically dead because you're no longer walking in the light as he is in the light i'm going to bring this up real quick let's see hang on we got this right here i can just print it from here uh All right, six copies of pages 19 and 20 should roll out of the printer here shortly. All right, so this is a very important concept. So why you need to understand that this concept is because if, if you feel like you're, you're tempted, right, tempted, when you're enticed by the lusts, right, you're tempted, you, you haven't sinned yet. Remember, because Jesus was tempted even as we are, yet without sin, that's what it says in Hebrews. He was tempted even as we are yet without sin. So the temptation when it comes along, that's not sin. Sin occurs when you give in to that temptation. And I would argue that the process begins before that when you begin to consider whether or not you want to 
engage in whatever that temptation, temptation is, right? Whatever that activity is. So once you get to the point where you're in consideration, you're already in trouble. Because Paul said you shouldn't even go there. You should not even, the language we have in the New American Standard, don't make any provision for the flesh, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. So, but you just you just beat me to it. That's perfect. That's exactly right, Joseph. So, what happens when the temptation comes along? I recommend two things. Two things in order to have victory over that temptation and not allow lust to conceive and give birth to sin. First, prayer. Immediately go to the Lord in prayer and ask for the Lord to give you the strength to resist the temptation. Second, take every thought captive, which is what Joseph was just talking about. Take every thought captive. In other words, take your thoughts captive and think about what you know you need to be thinking about. Don't be thinking about whatever it is that that temptation is. Think about what you know you need to be thinking about. Go back to the Hebrews passage. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Right? Focus your attention on Jesus. Focus your attention on the Holy Spirit. Don't Focus on the temptation. Take your thoughts captive. So prayer and the taking captive of your thoughts, both of those are, that's, that's really the answer as to how you can have victory over the temptations. Now, interestingly, God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what, we, what we're able to bear. In other words, whatever it is that we're facing, we actually are at a place where we should be able to pass the test. That's what we're getting at here. It says here in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond, beyond what you are able. <clears throat> but with the temptation, now this is a terrible translation. I'm going to change the translation on the fly. <clears throat> but with the temptation, will provide the perfect conclusion. That's what the ekphasis really means. That's what that word is, ekphasis. They translated the way of escape. It's the perfect conclusion to whatever, you're, whatever it is. We'll provide the perfect conclusion also so that you will be able to endure it. In other words, what I'm, where we're going with that is wherever you are in your spiritual walk, he's protecting you. And a lot of the, 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 a lot of the people have heard this terminology, the hedges, right? God puts up a hedge of protection around you, right? And the hedges are high enough where you're not going to face any temptation beyond what you're able to bear. So whatever it is that comes your way in terms of temptation, it's a test that you should be able to pass through what Joseph and I were talking about. Prayer and taking your thoughts captive, you're going to be able to endure it, right? God's going to provide the perfect conclusion to whatever the temptation is. So you need to realize that God's never going to give you more than you can handle. Now, on the flip side, here's the bad news, if you want to think of it as bad news, is as you mature in the faith, the hedges lower a little bit and you begin to face things as a mature, a more mature believer. You begin to face things that maybe you wouldn't have as a baby believer because here's why you would say, well, why would God do that? Why would God bring me greater temptation as I mature in the faith? Why would he do that? Because when you pass the test, that is victory in the spiritual life and the angels in heaven, I promise you the angels in heaven sing 
hallelujah when you pass the test, right? And the tougher the test, you pass it, it's even more glory for Jesus Christ. Because how did you pass the test? You passed it because of him. You passed it because of God and what he did for you, and it brings glory to him in the process. So the testing increases, the temptations become more difficult, but you have the capacity to pass the test. That's what this verse promises you. You always have the capacity to pass whatever temptation test comes your way. Make sense? Y'all tracking with me on this? All right, very important. Very important. He will not give you more than you're able to bear. Relying upon the Holy Spirit and the Word of God implanted in our souls is critical during times of temptation in order to, av- in order to avoid sin. I, I, I got a typo there. In order to avoid sin. <clears throat> Unless you want to say in order to avoiding sin, but that doesn't really make any sense. This, of course, I love to turn to this passage. All of you know this passage very well. It's the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And you look at how he handled it. There's a few things I point out whenever we look at this. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. He was being led by the Spirit, right? He was being led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. So in other words, what we learn about in this passage is only what happened at the end of the 40 days. He was being tempted the whole time for 40 days. And he says, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. So he fasted for 40 days in the wilderness, but he didn't come, become hungry until the very end, till the end of the 40 days. That's what it says. When they had ended, he became hungry. Not that he, not that he was hungry. This is the word became. He became hungry. Yeah, so, there, so is, the question was, Joseph, is there any indication of what was going on just before? Uh, we don't really have a record of it because if you look at what comes right before this, we have genealogies given here. Uh, you know, here we, have this, this, we have this event where the Holy Spirit descended upon him, right, in the form of the dove, and, and the Father said, you are my beloved Son, and in you I am well pleased, and so on. And this is the next thing that's mentioned. Right, So what, what happened right before that is the Holy Spirit descending upon him. And now, after that, he, what happens? He's being led around in the wilderness by the Spirit that he just received. So it's kind of interesting, right? But here he is. He's, he's roaming around. And then the devil says to him, now, I mean, he'd been pestering him for 40 days, right? And the devil says, said to him, if you are the Son of God, and it, by the way, that's not if, it's since, since you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. So what he did immediately, he answered him in no uncertain terms, and he answered him from Scripture. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. And he, the devil, led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Now, by the way, I believe that I believe that actually happened at the fall in Genesis chapter three, because dominion of the of the earth was Adam's. And when devil, the devil says it was handed over to me, I believe it occurred right there at the fall. Adam lost his dominion. And it was handed over to Satan. But here we have he says, therefore, in verse seven, therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. 
Well, first of all, I think this is a dumb one on his part personally. It kind of shows his, that his intelligence isn't all there because Jesus, Jesus already knows he's going to have all of it anyway, right? But in verse 8, he still throws that temptation at him, right? But Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, he answers him definitively and he answers him from the scriptures. Yeah, it really wasn't. It really wasn't about uh, real estate. You're right. It wasn't. Verse nine. He led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, "If you are the Son of God, actually it should again be since since you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written." Now, see now, twice, twice. Jesus is answered with scripture. So now, what does Satan do? He he throws some scripture back at him, right? For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, first of all, we're not going to go into it right here, but if you go look at it, it's really interesting to go look at those passages and see what the devil did not quote. Because some of what he did not quote was bad news for him, (laughs) right? So he purposefully skipped over some passages, which, by the way, a lot of people that are a lot of people that do deceptive things with the scripture, that's what they do. They cherry pick. And that's what Satan did right here. He cherry picked. And Jesus answered and said to him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then I love verse 13, too. It says, when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. In other words, he wasn't done. He was done with this particular incident in the wilderness, but he wasn't done. And we don't know what all occurred for the 40 days. This is what occurred at the end of the 40 days. What had he been doing for 40 days? See, that's the rest of the story. When John, John writes that if, if, if we had all of the information, it would fill up so many books, you couldn't even count them all, right? It would be so many books for the 40 days. We don't have a record of what happened During the 40 days, one of the things that you're going to see that's going to be very interesting if the Lord allows us to do this is when we get in and we start studying the life of Christ, you're going to see we actually know very little. It's important to know what has been revealed in scriptures. Amen. Right. We should know what's been revealed about Jesus in the scriptures. But actually, we don't know all that much about a lot of the things that happened in his life. And so that's why. A whole lot more could have been given. Now, here's what's important to understand. The secret things belong to God, but what has been revealed to us, right? He's revealed things to us, and what has been revealed to us is important for us to understand, right? If it, it's enough, it's sufficient, that's right. If, if we needed to know more about Jesus' life, we would have been given more. We've been given everything we need to know about his life. But if you think about, the, if you look at the 30-plus years that he lived on the earth, we only know a little bit about those 30 plus years. So it's pretty fascinating to think about it. But relying upon the leading of the Spirit is critical in ascertaining the specific details of the will of God for our lives. Now, I'm going to talk about this in a minute after we look at Romans 8.14. So we have the idea of protecting us from sin, right? Relying upon the Holy Spirit and the Word of God implanted in our souls is critical during times of temptation in order to avoid sin. Relying upon the leading of the Spirit is critical to ascertain the specific details of the will of God for our lives. So in other words, this reliance upon the Holy Spirit, I'm trying to emphasize that. We're supposed to be relying upon the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.14 says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Right? The idea of being led by the Spirit. Now, very important. 
the will of God. So many people will make a big deal about, you know, I'd so, I, I have such a hard time. I don't, I don't know what God's will is for me. I don't know what God's will is for me. I, anybody who says that, I always encourage them that if you read the scriptures regarding his will, you will find out that you, know, you can actually know a whole lot about his will for you. And to put it in military terms, we have in the scriptures our general marching orders, right? We have been given our general marching orders. You can read it. What? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Right? That's part of the marching orders that we've been given, the general marching orders. Now, when it comes to a specific mission, right? If you think about it, if you're in the military, when it comes to a specific mission, that's a different story, right? There's going to be specific orders for a specific mission. Well, when God, here's the thing, James chapter 1 tells us see I have it here so there we go James chapter 1 tells us verse 5 but if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him now it goes on to say you shouldn't be doubting why am i quoting this verse because let's say god does open a door and sends you on a particular mission right i'm talking about as a christian soldier right christian soldier being sent on a mission you don't know what god's will is you can say i don't know the, i don't know specific will of god in all of this ask god for the wisdom you need and he'll give it to you he wants you to know his will you're going to be led by the spirit right the leading of the spirit is going to help you understand what the specifics are regarding the will of God. We can know in general terms what the will of God is. It's all throughout Scripture. So don't tell me that you can't know the will of God. You can, number one, you can know the general marching orders because it's in His Word. And number two, He's given you the Spirit to help you understand the specifics. So you can. So I try to encourage people. I don't, I don't beat them over the head, but I try to encourage them that... You can know the will of God. He wants you to know his will. Now, sometimes we have a little problem with patience because we want to know right now. And so we got to remember that he's going to let us know. And I will tell you, and we've talked about this before, in the plan of God, uh, he says he lights our path, right? And I believe the way our path is lit is very similar to, I'll have to tell you the story. So when I was in Australia down in Canberra, Australia. The hotel I was staying in was a Marriott, but it was it seemed like they were kind of a little bit uh, green-oriented. Because, for example, I would go up to my floor, and I'd come out of the elevator at, at night. I'd come out of the elevator, and the whole floor was dark. And then I would start walking, and light, the, the three lights near where I was would light up, Right? And then I would continue to walk down the hallway and three more lights would light up because it had motion sensors, right? It was picking up on my motion. It was turning the lights on. Well, what I thought about while that was happening is it kind of paints a picture of how God lights our path because he, he lights up where we are right here. And he, he makes sure we know what we need to know for this part of our walk. We, he doesn't light up the other end of the hallway because we're not there yet. And I think in some cases, if he did light up the other end of the hall, we'd go back to the elevator and go down to the lobby, right? We'd run away. But he lights up 
the area right where we are so that we can know what we're supposed to be doing right where we are. And that he's going to give you that wisdom. So that's the other part of it is, is don't, don't think that when you ask for something, the wisdom that you need, that he's going to unload volumes and volumes of information. He's going to give you the wisdom that you need for right here, right now. And then when you get over there, he's going to give you the wisdom you need for there. Does that make sense? So he, he wants you to know his will. He's going to give you that understanding. But part of it is through the leading of the Spirit. How many times, see, and if you you have ever had what I'm talking about, and I I hate to get into this thing because it sounds almost like mysticism, but it's not. If you have ever had that that still small voice, that, that leading of the spirit that's hard to even explain to other people, you know what I'm talking about. When we were, when we were in the process of going to different churches, we went down uh, to, for candidating. I was candidating after I'd been ordained. And we went down to, to a church um, in Sweeney, Texas, Gulf Coast Bible Church. Fantastic little church, wonderful people. I love the pastor that was retiring, Emil Schmidt and his wife, Evelyn. Just great. I mean, just the whole congregation, we loved them. And we went down there and we started thinking about maybe if we were going to be called there and all that kind of thing. And I, can't, I cannot exactly describe it to you, but both of us, my wife and I both just knew we weren't supposed to be there. We just knew it. And it was just kind of this implicit thing, and I believe that was the leading of the Spirit. He was indicating to us that we were not supposed to be there. I think the similar thing we went to, this is similar but different. We went to a wedding. It was a guy, a coworker of mine, and he's from India, and he and his wife were both from India, and we went to that wedding, and we walked in there, both of us, were convicted by the Holy Spirit that we were in the midst of evil spirits. I mean, it was like this, this place, there's, there's, there's evil all around us, and we could sense it. And again, that's the leading of the Spirit. There were no, I didn't get a special message from God. I didn't hear words or anything, but I, we could both sense there's, there's some not good things going on around us here, right? So both of us were prayed up. Let's put it that way. <laughs> we made sure we stayed prayed up. But the leading of the Spirit is important in terms of those kinds of things, like that decision as to whether we should go to Gulf Coast. The leading of the Spirit helped us know that's not where we were supposed to be. Now, the Spirit will never lead you contrary to the things of the Word of God, ever. This leading of the Spirit comes from within our souls and gives us the opportunity to volitionally respond and then put, it, put these things into action, right? You, you, he speaks to us through the human spirit into our souls and we have, if you remember the picture of the soul that we put up, that idea, he speaks to us. Then we have the opportunity to volitionally respond. What are you going to do? See, so you could, you can have, so we could have, I'll give you an example. We could have, when we, when we were there at Gulf Coast, we could have had that innate sense that was coming from the leading of the spirit that said, you know what, we're not supposed to be here. And we could have said, yeah, but we really like this place, Right? We really like this place and we really like the people and we found a piece of property that would be a great place to live. You know, it's got a great house and all. And we could have rationalized our way right out of following the Spirit's leading. You see what I'm saying? It's easy to do, but you shouldn't, right? You have the volitional choice. You shouldn't do that. Leading of the Spirit, this is what I said a minute ago. The leading of the Spirit will never contradict the Word of God. Very important. If you, are, if you, like, if you feel like you're being led by the Spirit to do something that's contrary to the Word of God, you are not being led by the Holy Spirit. You're being led by some spirit, but not the Holy Spirit. John fourteen twenty six. 
But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. In other words, what is the Holy Spirit doing? He's helping us to call to mind the Word of God. Right? That's what that says. Now, in here, here, this is in the upper room. This is the upper room discourse. And specifically, he's, Jesus is telling them, I realize, by the way, I'm paraphrasing what he's saying here. He's going, I realize you guys don't understand what I'm telling you right now. But he's going to come and he's going to bring these things to remembrance and you're going to understand what I'm telling you right now. Because <laughs> he could tell that they didn't understand what he was talking about. But he's bringing the word of God to remembrance. Also, in John 16:14, he will glorify me for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. In other words, again, Jesus's message disclosed to us the word of God, the ability to understand the things of the word of God, the ability to remember the things of the word of God. He is working in conjunction and in accordance with the things of the word of God. The Holy Spirit never works contrary to that ever, ever will he work contrary to that. When we're walking in accordance with the Spirit, the law is fulfilled in us. This is a conversation we had just the other day. Uh, actually, we had, we had this at, uh, when we were on vacation, at the Bible study on vacation. I talked about this. Romans 8, 3, and 4, for what the law was powerless to do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk in accordance with the flesh, but in accordance with the Spirit. In other words, you don't have to try. This is important. You don't have to try to, to meet the requirements of every jot and tittle of the Mosaic law. When you're walking by means of the Spirit, all of those things are fulfilled in you. And if you think about that list in Second Peter chapter 1, if you're exhibiting all of those characteristics, the law is being fulfilled in you. You don't have to go and get your list and worry about all the little details because God is fulfilling the law in you when you walk by means of the Spirit. Does that make sense? You guys with me on that? That's what this passage says very clearly. Now, when you're walking by means of the flesh or in accordance with the flesh, don't expect to be having the law fulfilled in you. You're fulfilling your own law. And that's what actually, if we didn't read it tonight, but if you go back and look, back and look at Romans 7, that's kind of what... Uh, what Paul said, he says, I see two different laws. There's one law in my soul, right? The law of God that's in my soul. And then there's the law of, of sin and, and my flesh, right? There's two laws. So when you're walking in accordance with the flesh, you're following a law, but it's the law of sin that's in your flesh, right? It's not the law of God. It's not the Mosaic law. So very important. Very important. All right. The sin nature in the flesh produces... All right, we'll get started on this, but we'll have to come back and look at this again because we're almost at the end of our time here. Sexual immorality. Matthew fifteen nineteen, Jesus said, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adultery, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. In other words, the, the Pharisees were so concerned about the, these little legalistic things right they were concerned about all those things and jesus said this is what really matters for out of the heart comes evil thoughts murders adulteries fornications thefts false witnesses and slanders. that's what defiles the band if i eat with dirty hands you know 
I think we needed to quote, I think we needed to quote this verse to people during the COVID-19 thing. You know what? I don't need that I don't need that little squirt of that stuff, right? I don't need a squirt of that stuff on my, my the, you know, the, to supposedly clean my hands. You know what? I'm fine. I don't need to do all that. Sanitize my hands with that stuff. If I eat with unwashed hands, that doesn't defile me. But look what we're look what we're talking about here. First uh, Corinthians six thirteen says food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality. That's sexual immorality is what that word means. But for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. If I look at the word that's there, it's porneia, which is where we get our word pornography, porneia, sexual immorality. The body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. In other words, even though you have, even though you, this is this is what I find fascinating. I think this is incredible, actually. Actually, we live right now in the, in a body of sin. What did Paul say at the end of that Romans seven? Who will free me from this body of death? Right, this body of sin. He was like, I, I want to get, get out of this thing. I don't want to be in this thing anymore. And yet, while we are walking around this earth in this body of sin, we can actually please God. With the way that we walk. The body is for the Lord. Right? The body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. In other words, even while we dwell in these corrupted earthly tents, this is we are actually the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And as temple of the Holy Spirit, even in this body, we are supposed to be able to glorify God right now. And that, to me, that's incredible. And that is that is part of the victorious Christian life is that you're walking around with the world, the flesh, and the devil all working against you, and yet you're still glorifying God in that body and in this world and with everything that we have working against us. Verse 18 of that same chapter, flee immorality, that sexual immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Now, you can, you can take a lot of things out of this, but what it actually does say, if you study it in the original and you look at the details of it, it says that when you engage in sexual immorality, you damage your own body. You're actually harming your own body. And part of what's going on there in the process of doing that is what I believe is the further corruption of your own sin nature. Right? So you're not only damaging your body in terms of your health, but you're actually further corrupting your own sin nature. So careful with that. You don't want to get, get engaged in those things. It makes matters worse. Moral impurity, and this is the last one we'll do because we're already getting the end of the time. Ephesians 4, 17 through 18, 17 through 19, excuse me. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles, unbelievers is what he means by that. Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. This is moral impurity. In other words, the idea that you are morally corrupt. I mean, this is, this is, this is a, how's the best way to say this? We don't, we don't succeed in the Christian life by trying to be moral. 
In other words, if you put the energy of the flesh and you try to have your own establish some system of morality, that's not a victorious Christian life. However, when you are living the victorious Christian life, you will not be morally impure. You will have a purity. You will be a moral person, right? That's what comes out of the Christian faith is you will be a moral person. But it's not a facade of morality. It's a true morality that comes from within, from the transformation that God is bringing upon us. So many Christians today are, are instead, they've got a whitewashed, a whitewashed tomb. What I mean by that is they're putting on a surface appearance, facade of morality. And to them, that means they're good Christians because they have this surface facade of morality. That is not the answer. Morality is something that comes out of your faith, not something that produces something positive in your faith. You see what I'm saying? It's an outcome. It's an outcome of your walk of faith. Here in Romans 6.19, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented the members of your bodies, your body as slave, slaves to immorality, that's uh, sexual immorality there, and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present the members of your body... Um, uh, as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Let me make sure that that's actually sexual immorality. That may be moral impurity. If I turn to Romans 6.19 here. Oh, it is impurity. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's, not, uh, it's not actually sexual immorality here. It's moral impurity. I've translated it as immorality, but it's moral impurity. So you've given yourselves over to moral impurity, lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. Instead, present, you know, so now present the members of your body as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So moral impurity. So, again, that's a side effect of walking in the walking in darkness. Right. Moral impurity. We find ourselves in it. By the way, moral impurity goes way beyond sexual activities. We're not just talking about that kind of thing. Now, with moral impurity, we're talking about um, you compromise at all levels. Right. The way you, for example, the way you do business. You might do business in such a way that it's immoral, right? You're doing something that's deceitful and immoral business practice. Whatever it is, just fill in the blanks. Moral impurity can cover almost any aspect of your life. It's not just regarding sexual things. It's talking about anything in your life. And so you compromise your morals, but it happens again. It's a function of, uh, as a Christian, it becomes a function of your walk, the way you're walking. And so you become morally corrupt because you're not walking in the light as he is in the light. Because as a function of walking with him and fellowship with him, growing in the faith, having the word implanted in our souls and so on and so forth, a morality will be established in us by God that is his morality, right? It's his righteousness, his morality. And when Christians fall away from that, they end up in a state where they start having all this compromise, moral impurity, all those things taking place. In their lives, we'll come back and we'll talk about it more next time. But we're gonna we're gonna get back to this list: the sin nature and the flesh. Because what we're gonna look at is we're gonna look at the sin nature and what it produces, and we're gonna look at the fruit of the spirit. After that, and remember, very important. I'll finish with this: very important. The sin nature produces, and there's gonna be a whole list of things here. Well, when you're carnal, at any given time, you're not gonna necessarily be engaged in all of those things. 
maybe maybe when you're in, maybe when you're carnal, you'll do something deceptive in business, right? So you have some moral impurity and you do something in business, but you're not engaged in sexual immorality. You're just engaged in some sort of moral impurity, or one of the other things in the list, right? We'll go through the things in the list. This is the cool thing. Some components of this list will be evident when you're carnal. It's, it's what's produced by the flesh. When you're walking by means of the Spirit, it's fruit, singular, and all of the things in the list, everything in the list that we have for the fruit of the Spirit, all of that is produced in you. Not just one, not just two, not just three, all of them. And it's a cool thing about the way God works, right? God gives us the abundance. As we walk by means of the Spirit, we produce the fruit of the Spirit, and it's all of it. Everything, gentleness, patience, self-control, all the things that are in the list, right? Faithfulness, it's all produced by God within us, and it's all produced when we walk by means of the Spirit. So we'll come back and we'll talk about it next time. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for allowing us to have this class this evening. Thank you for the folks that are here tonight. Thank you for the folks that are listening online or they picked up this, uh, this class after the fact from the website. I pray that you will bless them in their understanding of your word and your understand, their, their understanding of your will for their lives and the way that they should walk. I pray for those who wanted to be here tonight but couldn't be for health reasons. Uh, I pray for, for David Knapp that you'll continue to help him to get better uh, and recover and, and be able to go home. And, Father, we're just thankful that we can come to you in prayer like this, that you've opened the door for us to enter, enter the throne room with confidence because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we can express everything in our hearts to you, and we are so thankful for that. We ask now that you would bless our uh, time that we have after this on our way homes, get us safely to our homes, and help each and every one of us to remember what we learned tonight. And dwell on these things to allow it to dwell richly within our souls so that it will do exactly what it's designed to do to help us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We pray all of these things in his most precious and holy name. Amen.